Hi, welcome. So I'm Robin, and this is part three of my kind of review and going through the seven principles for making marriage work. So we've gone through most of the first principles. So we talked about principle one, enhancing your love maps, which is really getting to know each other and remembering that there's always more to learn, staying curious about your partner. Principle two is nurturing your fondness and admiration. Really coming from this belief, this thought of, I respect and honor my partner. And focusing on what you really like about them, right? Remembering that there are things you like about this relationship and that's why you're in it. Then principle three is turning toward each other instead of away. So noticing bids or attempts for connection. So noticing when your partner is trying to connect with you and responding positively to that. So maybe they're asking about your day or they're commenting on the weather, responding instead of ignoring and turning away. Principle four is letting your partner influence you. So we talked about in this principle really coming from that place of we're on the same team and we're going to look at problems together. Then principle five is solve your solvable problems. So that leaves us today. We're going to talk about principle six, which is overcoming gridlock or how to deal with those unsolvable problems. And then the last principle is creating shared meaning, principle seven. Okay, so let's kind of dive in here. So remember that we talked about in the last episode that they had done research and they found that almost 70% of problems in a relationship won't be solvable problems. So solvable problems were things like who's going to take the kids to school or how do we split up household chores or anything that's really easy to solve and where you can get on the same page and there's actually a solution and a resolution. But most problems won't have that which I kind of love because I think for a lot of us, it helps us realize that there is no fairy tale perfect relationship that doesn't exist, right? We don't have to put up with terrible things, but also it really isn't going to be perfect. Like there will always be problems. And they talk about when you're choosing a partner, you're basically choosing a set of problems. So we're going to talk about how to manage those unsolvable problems. So principle six, overcoming gridlock. Gridlock happens in a relationship when we're, we get really, really stuck on a problem and we're basically gridlocked. There's, there's no compromise happening. There's no, we're super stuck. So the first thing that we want to do is just recognize when gridlock is happening. Recognize when, okay, we have this unsolvable perpetual problem that keeps coming up over and over and over. And the signs of gridlock are that we keep having this same argument. We've talked about this many times and it's not getting anywhere. We are not coming closer to solving it. And we can't address it with humor or empathy or affection anymore. Like it is not funny. And we, it, we are not, we don't, we aren't in a place where we really care about how our partner feels about this because we're just so hurt and angry and frustrated. And the issue, actually, the more we talk about it, we become more polarized. So remember how I talked about um, in that principle for letting your partner influence you and you being on the same team. So imagining that football field or soccer field, hockey, whatever sport. And what happens is we're really 
instead of kind of coming together and being like on the same side and both sitting in the same box together, same side, same team, we're finding more and more that we're on opposite teams and we're really feeling like it's me against you instead of it's us trying to come to the problem. So the more that we talk about it, the more we kind of get entrenched in our positions. And Gridlock is happening when compromise seems impossible. Like it seems like this just isn't a problem we can solve because it probably isn't a problem you can solve. And you're probably approaching it in a way of trying to solve it by getting your partner to agree with you instead of learning how to respect both of your needs and manage the problem. So Gridlock is really happening when both people are fighting so hard to have the other person understand and agree with them that there's no space for understanding our partner. So this doesn't mean like it feels like there's no there's no space for compromise and it feels like you know this is not funny we cannot figure this out this is like a serious like I don't know if this is going to work that it just because it feels like that it doesn't mean that it's impossible to manage or to like start approaching in a way that actually works for you and maybe even brings you closer so i'm going to give you an example from the book of what they're talking about so this first one is basically how not to talk about a gridlocked issue so georgia says i've always dreamed of going on a mountain climbing expedition to mount everest and nathan replies first of all we can't possibly afford something like that besides i can't think of anything more stressful than mountain climbing i get vertigo standing on a table and georgia just responds forget it right so georgia brings up like a dream of hers like something she wants to do right she's like I'd really like to do this like adventurous trip and he just shuts it down, right? He doesn't try to understand her more. He doesn't try to like help them find some common ground. Like maybe he doesn't want to go mountain climbing, but he'd be willing to do something else that wasn't as high. Instead, he just totally shuts it down. And this is really what causes gridlock is this like polarization of like Georgia's like, this is what I want. And Nathan's just like, well, this is what I want and it doesn't match. And then there's no openness. There's no talking about it. First is I'm going to read the next example. So Georgia says, I've always dreamed of going on a mountain climbing expedition to Mount Everest. Nathan replies, Tell me more about that. Like, what would it, why, why do you want that? Right. And getting curious about his partner, right? What, what do you, what would you like about that? Cause he's like, I would, we know already by his other response, he has no desire to do that, but he's curious about his partner. What, what do you find appealing about it? Like, what do you think about it? And she says, Georgia says, I think I feel exhilarated like I was at the top of the world, which makes sense because she'd be on top of a mountain. As a child, I was always told I was weak and couldn't do anything. My parents were always saying, be careful, be careful. I think climbing a mountain would be so freeing. I'd feel such a sense of accomplishment. Now, in that thing, they haven't like, you know, Nathan hasn't been like, yeah, sure, I'll go with you on this trip, right? But what he did do was connect with his partner, right? He started looking at, okay, my partner is saying they want this. What? like what tell I I want to understand them I want to learn more about my partner and that really takes us back to this very first principle that we talked about which is the in, when they call it enhancing your love maps but just actually wanting to know and understand your partner and knowing that there's always more to learn about them that 
they're, they have this unique perspective on the world that you don't have and that there's always something to learn. And the second that we go into that, right, that we respect them and that we're curious about them and that we want to know more, it loosens up the gridlock because we realize that for Georgia, it's not about actually climbing a mountain, right? Like that's what she's saying initially. And this is, this is what almost always happens, right? This is that almost 70% of problems isn't about what the person is saying initially. It's not about climbing a mountain, right? If, if it was about climbing a mountain, this would be like a, a solvable problem, right? But what it's really about and what he talks about in this, when we get really stuck in these problems and how to overcome that gridlock is by focusing on the dream. Like what's underneath of this? And the thing that came up for me when I was reading this was it's really hard sometimes for us to even know, like even for myself doing this work for as many years as I've been doing it, I sometimes just think I want something like I would be like, oh, you know, I want to climb Mount Everest. For me, it's actually um, I'll use an example. I really want to I like getting away and I like going away for the weekend. And that's really important to me. But the partner that I'm with doesn't value that at all. Like, I don't want to say it all, but not really. Like, he could take it or leave it, and he'd rather not spend the money. So in an example like that, you could see how easy it'd be for us to get really gridlocked, right? Because for me, I start making it mean that I'm not important to him. If he doesn't want to go away with me, he doesn't want to spend the time with me. I could start questioning the relationship. If traveling is important to me, does that mean this isn't going to work? Like, how do I get him to come places with me? And then feeling like, well, I don't want to have to try to convince him. Is he just doing this for me? Is he not going to even enjoy it? That could all happen so easily if we aren't really aware and we're not really understanding and like really getting curious about our partner, right? So I got to get curious about me. What, why do I want to get away? Like, what is that for me, right? When Georgia, you know, when her, her partner asked her more questions about it, it let Georgia explore that for herself. Like, okay, tell me, yeah, tell me about that. Like, why do you want that, right? So for me, okay, like, why do you want to go away? For me, it helps me let go of everything here, right? I'm, I'm in my house right now and looking around. It, I love it because it's one of the few times when I feel like I don't have any responsibility. And for me, that's, that's such a big part. Like I've always felt I have my son really young and I love him. Like I'm, I love him. He's my favorite person in the world. Um, but it's meant I've, I've just always had to be responsible, like from 17. I've just always had to be responsible. And so getting away from me is I don't have to be responsible for anything. I can just get up whenever I want, go get a coffee, and I don't worry about anything. And so that for me is really what the travel is, right? And sometimes when we ask our partner that, then it's like, oh, you understand so much more about me now, right? You can understand why it's like, oh yeah, okay, like it, that, that heaviness of responsibility can really weigh on her and having a break from that helps. And then with our partner, we want to understand. So we want to do both, right? Like when you ask questions of your partner, it helps your partner understand themselves better and it helps you understand them better. So I could ask my partner, and this is actually what happened. We had um, planned to kind of go away on a trip, just like a weekend trip, and he kept putting it off. And 
I kind of, I did ask him, I was like, are you like, what, what's kind of happening here? Like, it's feeling to me, like, is this a lack of commitment to me? Like, are you not sure about going with me? Like what, what's kind of going on and which isn't the ideal way to approach it, but we don't have to be ideal in our relationships ever. And he's like, no. And when I really asked like, okay, how do you feel about traveling? Like, what is it about traveling? It really was about the money. He's just like, I just would rather have that money in my bank account. I feel more secure having that money in my bank account. I know, you know, like we were talking about his vehicle needs new tires and new tires are very expensive. They, it's just like things like that. He's like, I just would rather have the money in my bank account. Like I would feel better and that's it. It's not about not doing things with you. It's really just about the money. And we talked and he's like, I would, you know, if I, if I felt like we could do it really cheap, I might go, but I'd rather just do a J trip or something with you. Like, I just don't feel like staying overnight's really necessary. And so in exploring both of those things, instead of getting in gridlock and being like, well, you never want to do anything with me. Why aren't you coming with me? Or him being like, you just want me to spend all this money on you. Like what's going on, which we could have easily done. We really got to know each other better and we found common ground. So he's like, you know what? It's really about the money, but I have no problem like spending a day with you. Like that's not the issue. And I was like, hey, I really just need to get away. Like it's not the, that's what it is for me is just that I'm away and out of the city and I can just let go of that responsibility. And so in that, in, in overcoming gridlock, he, he talks about dreams and I talk about it more usually needs or wants, but we each sort of have a dream there, right? Like his dream is like, he likes having that money in his account. He just feels more secure. It helps him feel more secure. And my dream is like, I love getting away, right? And just being, not having responsibility. And when we look at that, we start to really understand each other more and we find that common ground and we can respect each other's dreams in a way that works, right? Like I can respect and and I can see how, yeah, you know what? I, I also do kind of feel that way a little bit. Like it is nice to just have that money in the savings account instead of spending it. I, that's true. And he can also see how like, you know, like he also gets, it just seems like there's just always more to do in the home and he can also get how, yeah, it is nice to just really get away from it all. Right. And be just like, let go of all those responsibilities sometimes. And then instead of we move from being gridlocked, right. And, and just like shutting stuff down in our relationship and feeling like resentful because we're not going anywhere. Like I could feel resentful toward him and he could feel resentful to me, but instead we come up with solutions, right. And we really like learn to, to, I would say solve that problem almost. And that's where when he says that so many problems are unsolvable, I think for me, it feels like a problem is solved when it's managed. Now, he says that 70% of problems are unsolvable because we're going to continue to have this issue, right? Like I love, I love getting away and traveling. I value it pretty highly. Um, and I've traveled not tons, but like quite a bit um, in comparison to him for sure. And he just doesn't value it as much. And that's, that's just going to be something we just don't agree on. Right. And I know that going forward and that's okay. There, it doesn't have to be. He really talked about the difference between unhappy couples and happy couples when it comes to dealing with these solvable problems is that 
I think he didn't say this in the book, but I think that unhappy couples sometimes um, choose unsolvable problems or choose people that present unsolvable problems that they're actually not okay with. So for example, if I had a dream that my partner always traveled with me, that would probably be an issue in this relationship. I don't have that. I actually don't mind going places on my own at all. Um, To be honest, I sometimes prefer to travel alone because of the responsibility, right? Right. That's my main reason I like to travel. And when I'm with someone else, it can, it can be great too, but it can also be nice to not be responsible for anything at all, just for me and only having to think about me. I love that sometimes. So for us, this isn't like a, a terrible problem. It's just like, you know, a thing that'll probably always be there that we'll have to manage. But like I said, if I was someone who was like, my dream is to travel the world with my partner, that might not work, right? So happy couples first choose problems that they can, like that they are okay with managing, right? They're not, they're like against their core values or something. And then he talks about in the book that, and I really love this comparison, happy couples think about their unsolvable problems or these like perpetual differences that they will have they think about them like how you'd think about seasonal allergies or having a bad knee it's it's annoying you know like you'd rather not have the allergies but they're gonna be there and it's it's also not a big deal like it doesn't have to ruin your life it doesn't have to mean anything you know sometimes it'll flare up your bad knee will flare up every once in a while you'll do some stuff to repair it that's okay right that's how they really think about it. So let's talk about some other kind of unsolvable problems that people run into. So one is cleanliness sometimes. So Brandon, this they give an example in the book of Brandon and Ashley, so let's use their names. Brandon's like, I think my wife is too neat and tidy. I find myself constantly having to have things like cleaned up. And they talk about his dream underneath that was really that his mother was always concerned with appearances and it felt like stifling and like a lack of freedom, like he was always being watched. And so now that kind of repeats when he's with his wife and she's like wanting everything to be tidy. He's like, oh, this feels like when I was a kid and I had to always, you know, be really concerned with appearances and it just it feels like bad. So for him being able to like, you know, leave his cups out on the table feels like he can be himself and not be criticized. So it's really about freedom and this lack of criticism. Whereas for Ashley, she just found that when she was growing up, so she likes a lot of neatness in her home and she shared like her dream underneath it was that she would have a home that wasn't chaotic. So her life growing up was really chaotic and she just never knew like who was going to pick her up. She shares and like it just felt very out of control. And so for her, a clean home just means like less chaos, which actually feels freeing for her. So when they know this about each other, then I mean, it's probably something that will always be managed. Like Brandon's probably always going to be a bit messier than Ashley, but they can respect it, right? They can see that like, oh, this makes sense, right? Instead of him thinking Ashley just nags me all the time, it's it, she, instead, Brandon can kind of step back and be like, oh, right. Like she just needs, it's easier for her when the house is cleaner. Like it just is easier for her mind. It reminds her of the chaos she had growing up. 
okay, I don't mind picking up my cup as much then, right? And then when he does leave stuff out, Ashley can notice, oh, right, like this, when I criticize him, it just triggers him more than normal because of his mom, because of his upbringing. Okay, how can we just talk about this, right? And sometimes you'll notice that one of the things when I talked about gridlock was that we couldn't address it with humor, empathy, or affection anymore, And when we're not in gridlock, these perpetual problems can actually become kind of cute or funny, right? Like it can be kind of cute. It doesn't feel like that when you're in gridlock, but it can be kind of like cute how it's like, oh, you always leave your cup out, right? Like I know that I always, lots of times I'll drink um, Coke and I'll just drink half a can constantly. I do this, you guys, and leave it out. And like my, my partner could think that was like, just like, a Robin thing, you know, it's just like cute and funny, right? That's just what they do. And that's okay. And, you know, you can have those differences, but not be approaching them from like, we have to solve this, we have to figure it out, I have to get you on my side, but more from a space of like love and openness and understanding. So the key here to overcoming gridlock is to really shift into that understanding. So I want to talk about what it takes in order to be understanding because it can be really hard, especially when we feel like we are, our very basic needs aren't being met, right? When we're feeling like our partner doesn't care and we're not getting what I need, it's really hard for us to be understanding in those moments because we're so focused on just getting what we need to be okay that we don't really have space space to like give understanding to our partner and it feels like we'll just have to give up or give in in order to fix the issue and that that's not really how it works right it's more about like understanding me understanding you where's the common ground how can we work together so I'm going to go back to that example so that I read before so Georgia says I've always dreamed of going on mountain climbing expedition and Nathan first replies First of all, we can't possibly afford something like that. And then Georgia just says, forget it. Now, what we want to check in with is what would Nathan be thinking and feeling in that moment to respond in that way? So he's probably thinking something like, we can't, we can't afford it. Like I, that's where his mind went right away, right? It was just about, she's asking to go on a mountain climbing tri- expedition. I can't afford it. She needs to stop asking because it makes me comfortable that I can't afford it. Oh, right. And when I say it that way, that's often what's happening in conflict is we have challenging, difficult emotions come up, like maybe shame for him, you know, for them not having more money that we aren't even aware of sometimes. And those emotions come up and we just, we, there's no space for anything else, right? There's no space for connecting with our partner because we're just in our shame and this needs to go away and we can't do it. And why are you bringing this up? And I'm uncomfortable. That's what happens there, right? That's why we get defensive. And if we don't know how to deal with those feelings, then we, we can't do the second example. You know, that second example where he's like, tell me more. So Georgia says that she wants to go on the mountain climbing expedition. And her partner, Nathan says, tell me more about what it would mean for you to climb a mountain. What, what would you do for it? What would it do for you? What would you like about it? We have to be, we can't just say those words. Like if I'm in the space of like, we don't have the money. Why are you asking me about this? You know, I don't even like going on trips. 
and I say the words like, what would it mean for you to go on a climbing expedition? It's going to feel so fake and it's going to like seem fake and sound fake. And sometimes that's fine when we're first practicing things. Like if you and your partner are working on, on these skills and you're like, Hey, I'm just going to try this. I know it's going to be fake. Have at it. Right. But the easiest way to really change your relationship is to change and learn how to manage how you're feeling in the moment. So noticing that, okay, I'm starting to feel shame. Like what's coming up for me? Why am I getting defensive emotionally? What's happening, right? What's going on for me? And learning how to manage that what happens is then we're managing our own emotions and we're able to kind of help ourselves through that shame. So instead of Nathan just being like, Georgia, we can't afford it. Stop talking about this basically. Like, what are you doing? We might even share how we're feeling. Hey, I feel really overwhelmed about money when when that happens. But in order to even say that, we have to be checking in with ourselves, right? And have this way deeper level of awareness. And this is something that I've really developed through getting coached and what I help my clients with. It's not just telling you, hey, say this instead of this. Like that can be useful. But really, it's about managing those emotions that come up that make it impossible for us to really have space to try to understand our partner. We can't, when we're in really intense emotion and we feel like our needs aren't being met, we can't give to other people. It's, I hate this and it's super cliche, but we really can't give what we don't have. If I'm feeling, if I think about like a, um, a day that I've had that's really, really hard and I'm exhausted... I just don't have anything left sometimes to then like have space for understanding and openness and connection with my partner. And that's what's happening in conflict. It's not necessarily the things that you're saying that you need to work on, but what we need to work on is those emotions that come up and how we respond to them and learning how to slow things down and learning how to talk to ourselves in a way that helps ourselves with those emotions so that we can then be more understanding for our partner. And the more that we do this, the more it becomes natural. For me now, most of the time, I mean, I sometimes go to like Nathan's response of like, oh, you want to do this? Okay, well, we can't afford that. My emotions are coming up sometimes, but most of the time I go into the understanding and curiosity. That's where what I feel a lot of the time because I've practiced it, because I've helped myself go through the the negative emotions that were coming up so often that it it I've kind of processed them and my mind doesn't go to those old patterns anymore because a lot of those patterns were just learned right we learned how to communicate in a defensive way instead of in a way of like exploration and understanding for me and you both right a lot of us weren't taught understanding for ourselves so then when I'm asking you to like oh understand your partner you're like I can't because you don't even know how to give that understanding to yourself. So this is one of the ways we can practice. When we have a dream or when those feelings come up, just asking more about it. And he gives um, a really great line in the book. He says in the book, a crucial goal of any marriage, therefore, is to create an atmosphere that encourages each person to talk honestly about his or her convictions. And really having a relationship that the goal is to get to know each other more, to understand yourself more so you can share that with your partner and understand your partner more. Okay, 
So that is overcoming gridlock, principle six. We're going to move on to principle seven. So principle seven is really the culmination of all the principles. And principle seven is called creating shared meaning. This one's a little bit lighter and it's kind of a nice one to end on here. Okay, so they gave an example in the book of when you're in a relationship and the relationship seems fine, like it's good. There's nothing wrong with it, but it just sort of feels like it's missing something that there could be more. You're, you're kind of asking this question of like, you know, you, you hear about the gridlock stuff and you're like, yeah, we're fine there, kind of, but I want more. And I think shared meaning is just always useful in any relationship, even if there is issues, it can really strengthen a relationship. So shared meaning meaning is what happens when you go beyond just kind of like getting things done and like hanging out and you really start to build a shared culture. And they talk about three different ways that we can create shared meaning. And you'll kind of understand it better as I go through each of these examples. So the first is rituals of connection. So a ritual is a routine with emotion added. If you've ever broken up with someone or you've heard people say after a breakup, but we used to always go to this place, Earl's on Mondays and have margaritas and tacos. So now every time I drive by, I think about him. Like it reminds me of those moments we sat at the booth and we'd have the tacos with the amazing Earl's salad and the margaritas. That is a ritual of connection. It's one of the hardest parts when a relationship ends and the flip of that is that we can use rituals like that to strengthen our relationships on purpose. So it's hard because it's so, it makes us really feel connected and tied. That's a special memory that we shared with that person. It was one of those things that takes us from like two separate individuals to us. So rituals are structured, predictable traditions. So if we're trying to add these things in, they're structured and predictable and predictable. So for me, when I use that example of Earl's, we would always go and have margaritas and tacos. That was the ritual was margaritas and tacos every time. And it can be something like that. Lots of my examples are around food. So it can be like we, I said on Mondays, but we would just go whenever kind of, um, it can be like having supper every weeknight or pizza nights on Friday. It can be something like um, how you spend Christmas or going to the same place for holidays, but it's rituals. It's things that are predictable and it's a you guys thing, right? It's like that's something that's shared between you. I follow a sex therapist called Vanessa Marin and they have a ritual of always making out before bed, always every night. And that's kind of one of those things that like it's that moment of connection, it can be something like that where it's five minutes a day or the Christmas thing where it's once a year. It's those things that are joint, right? And I want to say that if you're trying to add in these rituals, if you're like, yeah, I want to be more connected. How do I add in some rituals of connection? You don't want it to be something that you just want to get them to do. Like, I don't want to say, I wish we'd travel more. So you have to go with me. It has to be something joint and it often comes about kind of organically. So what I want you to do is think about the rituals you already have. So what kind of rituals do you already have? Like what are things that you just that are kind of like 
repetitive isn't the right word, but like that repeat in your relationship. So maybe it's always kissing goodbye before you leave, right? Maybe that's always what you do. Um, uh, we always do like a good, um, usually a good night text and usually a good morning text kind of rituals, right? Okay. So the first to create like shared meaning and really togetherness is those rituals of connection that you can really rely on. The second is support for each other's roles. Okay. So your roles in your relationship or your marriage is where you feel your place in the marriage is and where you feel your partner's place should be. It's not like who does the dishes, but it's deep expectations. So things like if we have the thought like men should be the provider and women should nurture, we probably want to be in a relationship where both people think that and both people want those roles. Versus if we think something like we want an equal marriage where spouses support each other equally emotionally and financially, then we probably want to be with someone who also has that and sees the roles in the same way. So I want to talk about um, one of um, kind of my like business mentors, Stacey Bayman. So she's like super successful, has multi-million dollar business, and she has her husband, Neil. And she often talks about how his job, his role in the home is really to support her as like the asset in her business. So she has the business. She's the one that's like, you know, working, making money, and he supports that. So he's in sort of a, a, I guess, non-traditional now role of like looking after the home, looking after her. He's the one who does all of that, right? Looks after the household and he thrives at that. Like he's great at looking after people, right? Like making sure that she has food and like looking after the house so that she feels so supported that she can put all that energy into her business. And in this, she talks about it's not that like she's better than him or he's better than her. They each have their roles and she values his role incredibly. She's like, I could not have built what I built without like without that support like it's a major factor in me being able to go into the world and do what I do for work and that is really supporting each other's roles it's being clear on what we actually expect in a relationship and clear on what we want our role to be so when I was reading this I was thinking about it And I think that a lot of the time what happens is there's what we think our roles should be or what our views should be. And then there's what we actually need or desire. And those can conflict. So for example, for me, if you asked what the role should be, I would tell you that it should be an equal marriage where both houses support each other emotionally and financially, like very like equal, or maybe even where the, where the woman is more of a provider. However, when I really like watch myself or notice myself or like see myself, when I really get to know myself, I have this deep desire to be looked after. It just, I've noticed it so many times. And then this opposite belief of you can't trust anyone to look after you, like based on like my history and things I've been through, right? Or even it's not safe to rely on other people. You can only rely on yourself. 
So sometimes, I don't, not sometimes, these views that we have that we don't even know we have, like I've done this work for a lot of years and I've noticed these views over time, right? And sometimes I thought it was one way and I'm like, oh no, it's actually this other thing, right? So these views that we have, like my conflicting views, then I go into a relationship with, right? So this need to be looked after and then this other view of like, it's not safe to be looked at. Like you can't really trust people to look after you. And these views then impact our relationships, right? So instead of support, being able to like support each other's roles and like feel what my role is, I would end up going into relationships with just all this conflict and then end up in relationships that felt conflicted, right? That it was like, what is my role? What are we doing? What, what is really going on here? And that creates a lot of instability. And these beliefs, like this need of like, I, this deep, need to be looked after and then this belief of like it's not safe to trust people or to rely on them in that way these aren't things that I've chosen right like I wouldn't consciously tell someone to chose choose these beliefs they're things that I've noticed so I want you to look at yourself and say if you told me what you what you value like what role do you want either in your current relationship or this is actually so useful in dating what role do you see for yourself and what role do you see for your partner? And then if you look at your dating history or like the history of your relationship, what roles do you actually fall into and what roles do you end up dating? Like what roles do your partners kind of fall into? And it's just such an interesting, like not from any judgment and we can always learn and change things. But I think that tells us so much about ourselves. And really that foundational piece of our relationship. Okay. So creating shared meaning. We talked about rituals of connection and how those things can be really hard when they leave, but they're really great to use to purposely strengthen a relationship. And then knowing your role and supporting each other's roles, like actually understanding what is my role in this relationship. Number three, shared goals. So that idea that we're on the same team, shared goals, put that into action. So in the book, they talk about like deep shared goals, like, you know, like raising a household. To me, it's really important to re- live in a, or like create a household that um, is fairly harmonious. That's a really big value of mine. Um, they gave the example of like raising generous children. But I think that small goals are also really important. And I noticed it was when I was reading this part, I noticed that I've used small goals to create connection without really knowing what I was doing a lot of the time. Um, I've done it with friends, like having a common workout goal and I'll do it in my house. So things like working together on how to design the yard or like a home reno. I love things like that. It can also be making a meal. And I really think the little goals matter. And that's what really helps us build a relationship with someone is we're on the same team. We're working toward those little goals, whatever they are, right? Maybe it's just finishing a hike together. Those things can really, really bring us together. Okay. So that was principle six and principle seven. And I want to end with this. So what came up for me in these last two principles was that these principles were really so much about deeply understanding ourselves and really this idea that the more we create a space in our relationships for understanding, 
the better we get to know ourselves, the better we get to know our partner, the better they get to know themselves. It just creates this space where we really deeply connect and we really deeply connect with ourselves and with them. Thank you so much for listening this week. That concludes this book. That's all seven principles. Next week, we're going to be talking about feeling embarrassed and how you can handle feeling embarrassed and how feeling embarrassed is actually optional. So make sure you tune in next week.